My name is Paul Thies and I'm your host. And today we're going to be discussing the role and future of hydrogen uh, and the potential it has to play in uh, the decarbonization and sustainable future in Australia. Uh, Jacobs and Yarra Valley Water recently teamed up to deliver a thought leadership paper which asks what if the growth of Australia's hydrogen industry could be supported by co-located hydrogen production at wastewater treatment plants. We're going to unpack that. There's a lot of information to look at, but it's really exciting stuff. And with me today, uh, we have Simon Prunster. He's the Energy and Emissions Specialist at Yarra Valley Water. Michelle Freund, uh, senior economist at Jacobs and Henry Swisher, energy markets consultant at Jacobs. So thank you all very much for joining me today. I'm looking forward to our discussion. So uh, like I said, you recently published a thought leadership paper on the role of water utilities in hydrogen production. And so to kind of set the table for us, I'm going I'm to turn to Henry first. I'm going to ask, you know, especially for listeners who are new to this topic, and I'll admit I was one, can you explain in simple terms, you know, what hydrogen is, what are its advantages, what it can be used for, and why it's being talked about so much in Australia? Uh, yeah, and thanks for having me on today, Paul. Um, that's a good place to start. Uh, and before I explain what hydrogen is, uh, it might help to actually start with what it isn't, because there are actually a lot of misconceptions about that. Um, so hydrogen is often perceived as a fuel or energy source like gasoline or natural gas, but actually hydrogen is a form of energy storage and falls into the same category as batteries. Um, so this means that it doesn't create energy itself. Uh, it just allows it to be moved around and stored and used at um, another time. So interest in energy storage solutions like hydrogen and batteries have been on the rise because of this growing need to tackle climate change and reduce our greenhouse gas emissions. Um, obviously, uh, and that's through reliance of, on renewable energy sources like wind and solar. Mm -hmm. So obviously the sun doesn't always shine and the wind doesn't always blow. So how can you use that energy when you need it? Um, and addressing that availability issue is why energy storage solutions like hydrogen and like batteries are going to be really important as we transition towards a zero emissions electricity system. So in as far as advantages go, uh, because hydrogen is a lightweight gas, one of the major upsides is that it can be used in all sorts of different applications and end uses um, that other types of energy storage won't necessarily be able to address. Uh, one example is that because it is so lightweight, it's a good option for use in say heavyweight transport vehicles. Um, and that's something where batteries aren't as necessarily as good of a use for. Um, another really good example is um, actually as a, as a use in, you can use in existing natural gas networks. Uh, and that's definitely something you can't used with a battery. Mm -hmm. um, so on the other hand, um, I don't want to slam batteries too much because they actually do make more efficient use of energy and they don't require as much supporting infrastructure, which makes them great for passenger vehicles, like those we've seen from Tesla and Nissan. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's not really a case of, you know, one is better than the other, like batteries are better than hydrogen or vice versa. They're just have very different characteristics and they can actually be complementary a lot of the time. So uh, you also asked why it's being talked about so much in Australia. Mm. One of the main reasons comes back to the fact that it can be used in lots of different ways. Um, so that's been highlighted as a way to decarbonize a big range of some of our most emissions intensive sectors um, by leveraging off of the cost reductions that we've seen in renewable energy recently. Mm. Um, but this idea that it actually can play a decarbonizing role has grown from another misconception, which 
uh, I think is also worth addressing and that stems from how hydrogen is actually produced. So there's this common perception that all hydrogen is zero emissions, right? But because it's a form of energy storage, like I said earlier, that energy has to come from somewhere. And that hasn't traditionally been from renewables. So these different ways of using energy to produce hydrogen are important in whether or not it can be considered uh, zero emissions and whether it can actually play that decarbonizing role or not. Mm -hmm. um, and the way that the easiest way to think about this is actually uh, in the terms of different colors of hydrogen. So you may have heard people refer to say brown or blue or green hydrogen. Mm -hmm. and, and what, is that, what does that mean? Why are there different colors of hydrogen? Yeah, so it's, it, it basically refers to the different types of energy used to produce hydrogen and the actual emissions that each process creates. Mm -hmm. So because brown hydrogen, so, you know, brown hydrogen is what you would expect, it, it uses fossil fuels like coal or natural gas, uh, and it actually does create emissions, um, whereas blue hydrogen is the same exact process, but uh, those emissions are captured and stored, meaning that it's actually technically carbon neutral. Mm -hmm. um, and when you get all the way to the other end of the spectrum at green hydrogen, that's produced basically from renewable energy. So it doesn't actually create any emissions in the first place. Um, another important bit that I want to talk about is building on that idea of green hydrogen. We released a paper last year, uh, Jacob's first hydrogen paper, mm -hmm. where we coined the term sustainable hydrogen. And I know that's not a color, so maybe we could have been a little bit more creative uh, mm -hmm. with the name. but. The point we wanted to get across with it is it wasn't just the focus on the energy source, but also the water source. Mm -hmm. So that's the second important point is that water is also a major input to hydrogen production. Uh, but until recently, it really hasn't been a major focus of industry conversations. But with this changing climatic conditions in Australia, you know, we've had the drought, we've had the really bad bushfires um, recently and historically, mm -hmm. um, water really is a, a precious resource here. So we shouldn't be creating another water reliant industry. Uh, when we have sustainable options like recycled water from wastewater treatment plants. Uh, so I don't hijack this whole, I don't want to hijack the whole interview. Right, right. Uh, I'll, finish, I'll finish off by coming back to what's driving interest in hydrogen in Australia um, beyond these sustainability aspects. Mm -hmm. And as a country, we do have really excellent renewable energy resources. Uh, and because of our proximity to Asia, hydrogen could represent a new export product to markets such as uh, Japan, Singapore and the Republic of South Korea. Hmm. Yeah, so for this vision to be successful though, mm -hmm. it's likely that we will also need a strong domestic market here, mm -hmm. but cost is currently a major barrier to this opportunity actually materializing. So that's what the industry is really focused on right now is how do we bring down the costs and stimulate uptake of hydrogen in different sectors? Mm -hmm. uh, thanks. Yeah, yeah, no, thank you for that. That's great. That, that really sets the table for us. And so, you know, turning to our uh, economist, you know, talking about the, the cost barriers to leveraging hydrogen production in Australia uh, and how it might be useful in, you know, a sustainable future. Let, let's turn to Michelle. And uh, so, Michelle, obviously, you know, part of the, the genesis of our call today is to discuss the paper that, uh, uh, Yara Valley and Jacobs recently uh, published. And can you tell me a bit about what you looked at and what you found? Uh, thanks, Paul. Well, that's a, a big question. So um, maybe I will be hijacking the conversation. We'll <laughs> see how we go. Okay. Um, I'll, I'll do my best um, to, to get through it quickly. Um, 
But building on what Henry said, uh, the hydrogen market internationally and domestically is still emerging. And um, as you said, there are challenges to its widespread commercialization. Um, recently, the Australian government identified that hydrogen would need to be priced at around $2 per kilogram for it to compete with alternative energy sources for um, broader applications, which include transport. Mm -hmm. um, the range is more between $4 and $6 per kilogram. However, until demand increases um, to a point that supports enough production to achieve economies of scale mm -hmm. um, that's needed to drive down costs, these competitive prices can't be reached um, and domestic demand won't, um, won't increase. So you see, we find ourselves in what we refer to in our paper as that chicken or egg dilemma. Um, how do we reduce prices to guarantee, to generate um, demand and, mm. and guarantee that demand where we need to, um, to increase demand to reduce price. Um, our paper focused on whether water utilities um, could play a role in helping reduce the price of hydrogen and to support the acceleration of, of the hydrogen industry. Um, so as uh, Henry alluded to, um, in the past discussions regarding the role of the water sector has has been limited to the importance of supplying recycled water as a sustainable input to electrolysis. But we took it a step further and asked the question, what if um, the growth of Australia's domestic hydrogen market could be supported by co-locating hydrogen production at the wastewater treatment plants? Mm -hmm. um, you know, so Henry gave some background about what hydrogen is and how it's produced, but um, electrolysis does not only produce hydrogen, um, in fact, for every one kilogram of, uh, sorry, we say kilograms in Australia, um, <laughs> for every um, kilogram of hydrogen produced, there's eight kilograms of um, oxygen produced. We know that pure oxygen could be um, a valuable resource in its own right as part of the wastewater treatment process. So we really wanted to investigate that opportunity further. Mm -hmm. um, as part of our analysis, what we really wanted to do was see whether we could create this win-win situation um, where the wastewater treatment plant could benefit from buying pure oxygen from an on-site hydrogen plant, but where the um, hydrogen plant could also benefit from that guaranteed demand for the oxygen that is being produced. Um, in effect, that demand would um, allow the price of hydrogen to be subsidised. Mm, okay. So, I mean, we've got Simon on the call. So cent central to our approach was um, team teaming up with Yarra Valley Water, um, mm. Melbourne's largest water corporation, and, and the use of one of its wastewater treatment plants as a case study. Um, the Aurora Wastewater Treatment Plant, which is um, the one that we used as our case study, services a, a really fast-growing population and is due for a, a full replacement in the next few years and then another major upgrade in 15 years' time. Mm -hmm. And um, the site ticks all boxes for um, a suitable location for hydrogen production. So firstly, it has access to land. Um, it has access to recycled water. And thirdly, it has access to renewable energy generation um, on site from a waste to energy plant. So that would, you know, help that sustainable um, production. We've got the recycled water and, and the renewable energy. Um, also, it's got, uh, it's located in an urban area. So it's, it's in close proximity to potential demand for the hydrogen itself, which is really important. Um, so I guess we wanted to 
it's probably, it would help explain why um, the use of pure oxygen would be beneficial for a wastewater treatment plant. Yeah, um, yeah, it's not obvious. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, currently, um, the plant relies on, on conventional aeration technologies. Um, uh, this basically involves pumping air bubbles into the treatment process to deliver oxygen to microorganisms. Um, look, I'm an economist. I'm not going to go into the technical details. There are plenty of people that know more about this than me. Mm -hmm. um, what I do know is that air is made up of only 20% oxygen. So pumping air to deliver oxygen is not the most efficient process and it uses a lot of energy and requires a larger footprint for the wastewater treatment plant itself. Um, our analysis was, was quite straightforward. Um, uh, in the first instance, we tested whether adopting pure oxygen in the treatment process at the, uh, at the Aurora wastewater water treatment um, plant could produce enough cost savings mm -hmm. to justify transitioning to an oxygen-based technology. Um, we then assessed whether the guaranteed demand for oxygen could support the commercialization of a co-located hydrogen plant. So it sounds pretty simple. And um, the results were, were really promising. Um, mm. We identified an opportunity at Aurora to create that win-win situation we were after. Um, we found that um, delivering oxygen to the treatment process um, uh, was, was more efficient um, and reduced the capital and the operating costs at the site. Um, at the same time, that guaranteed demand for oxygen meant that um, the price of hydrogen was, was subsidised and um, the co-located facility could be commercially viable while selling hydrogen at that um, target price range I was referring to, that 2 to $6 per kilogram price range. Um, now, there are two main reasons why we're really excited about this. Um, uh, firstly, in our case study, we found that even if only half the hydrogen produced is sold, um, the, the price could remain competitive. Um, this is really important because uh, the market, as we said, is still emerging and demand isn't, um, isn't guaranteed. Keeping the prices low will help stimulate further growth in the demand and address that chicken or egg dilemma we were um, talking about. Um, and secondly, the ability to scale hydrogen production around a guaranteed demand for oxygen would really reduces the risk to early entrance into the market and would hopefully encourage um, investment, early investment in hydrogen production. Uh, this is really important if we are to accelerate the growth in the sector. So ultimately, the case study implied that the water sector could have a more pivotal role in accelerating the development of the hydrogen industry and, and the results are um, extremely promising. Oh, well, it's fascinating. I mean, the idea of co-locating a hydrogen production facility and a wastewater treatment plant, um, you know, it, making use of, like you outlined, like the Aurora plant, you know, all these conditions were favorable to that. And, you know, it's, it's really interesting to be able to, to take something that exists and like find a new and fascinating way to use that. And so, Simon, I have a question for you. You know, this is, this is really kind of an interesting departure from the quote unquote traditional role of water utilities. And so, you know, you want to share with us a little bit about kind of what was driving Yarra Valley's interest, uh, you know, in this space and then kind of looking, I guess, getting your crystal ball out, but looking kind of to the future, do you see water utilities, you know, becoming more and more energy providers? 
Oh, thanks, Paul. Um, well, there's a couple of questions to unpack there, but first of all, about the drivers. Um, I can talk generally about the water sector in Victoria. So the water sector makes up 24% of government um, emissions in, in Victoria. Mm -hmm. And so a few years ago, there was a drive where all the water corps came together and um, we, we set to decarbonise the sector. And for regional uh, water utilities, that means hitting net zero by 2050. But for the metros, which are the big ones, um, we're going to hit net zero by 2030. So mm -hmm. we have to look at ways to, to find um, options that can basically reduce our carbon footprint so that, you know, we contribute to the, the reduced rate of global warming. Um, so what that means for us is that we, we've got a strong focus on renewable energy. Uh, we're, we're looking to produce 100% of our own renewable energy by 2025. Um, and that, that driving us and looking at all of our facilities, we started looking at what are the opportunities to produce energy at our facilities. And um, one that, that came along kind of uh, in parallel to that was, was the emerging uh, role of hydrogen could play in decarbonising the economy. So we were looking at what was happening in that space and starting to think about, you know, is there a role for us in that space? Um, and that was about the time that Jacobs released a white paper and we started talking to them and we had a few ideas and they had a few ideas and mm -hmm. hence this project was sort of born. I guess the way that we've thought about it is that we've flipped the equation. So we, we're not looking at producing hydrogen um, per se. We, we look at ourselves and, and we're big consumers of oxygen. So mm -hmm. we've thought to ourselves, is there a way that we could produce oxygen that's viable for us? We know that it's a having pure oxygen increases the efficiency of our plants and can play a role in other parts of, of what we do. So we wanted to understand, is it, is it viable for us to produce oxygen? And if you look at it in isolation, it's probably not. But if you look at it when you produce this byproduct of green hydrogen, we think that's got a pretty, you know, big future and that there's, there's going to be a value that we can associate that. So we're, we're almost subsidising the production of oxygen Mm -hmm. to make our plants more efficient to help us reduce our greenhouse gas emissions. So that's where we started looking. And um, what we've discovered, as Michelle and Henry were alluding to, is that this symbiotic relationship between the two value streams and how they can interact and almost cross-subsidise each other. Mm -hmm. uh, and that makes it viable on, on both fronts and presents a really good opportunity, um, especially when it's linked to the demand for oxygen at wastewater treatment plants, which can be quite significant. So um, I'm not saying that we're probably going to be uh, industrial scale producers that, that would look to export, you know, internationally, but mm -hmm. I'd say that we could supply a, a, a local domestic hydrogen hub um, you know, and satisfy the demand there relatively easily. So what this means is that it gives us the opportunity to, to start thinking about producing hydrogen and oxygen mm -hmm. at wastewater treatment plants that are located on the fringes of urban areas mm -hmm. and that have um, routes for disposal uh, of that hydrogen. So we've got reticulated natural gas networks nearby. We have um, transport infrastructure. So near our place, we've got bus, bus companies that, that are looking to decarbonise. We're right next to the major freeway that connects Melbourne to Sydney. So long-term, we could potentially play a role in decarbonising that transport route. Um, there's a range of possibilities that we could go and explore. So we think we're really well-placed to, to service um, what could be uh, domestic hydrogen demand. And we think that 
we can subsidize the production of hydrogen through giving oxygen a value, which as Michelle spoke of before, brings us down to um, producing hydrogen in, in a range that's competitive for the market with all the advantages of, of um, zero emissions. So um, do I think that we could be, you know, an energy producer of the future and play a role? Definitely. And I think that hopefully we can, we can prove this concept through our project that we're, we're conducting. And once we prove the concept, it, it will become almost the blueprint for how you actually roll out newer forms of wastewater treatment plants across Australia, or when you look to upgrade what is um, conventional technology that is potentially 100 years old with newer technologies which are, um, support the, the hydrogen production. And the, the use case there is better than business as usual. So I really think it's, it's a promising um, development and something that I keep joking with the guys. I think, I think it could change the world. So, you know, hmm. looking to do. Oh, it's fascinating. And, you know, so you touched on something uh, and I, I'm going to ask you about this, Michelle, about the, uh, you know, oxygen and the role that it's played in the, you know, reducing the cost of hydrogen, the oxygen demand and its role in, in reducing the cost of uh, hydrogen. Why hasn't this been addressed before, do you think? Well, Paul, that's a, a really good question and one that um, the team sort of, we asked ourselves this over and over again as we wrote the paper, you know, if, mm -hmm. this, if the results are so promising, you know, mm -hmm. why hasn't this already been done? And um, there, are, there appear to be several reasons for this. Firstly, um, although conventional aeration treatment is not that efficient, um, in the past, pumping all this air through the treatment process was never um, seen as a problem because electricity and land was, has been cheap in Australia. Mm -hmm. um, and this meant that these inefficiencies were widely adopted despite the inefficiency. Um, today, we are seeing the cost of electricity and land rise, um, and these inefficiencies are becoming uh, more problematic. Um, secondly, as far as I understand, the efficiency of oxygen-based treatment has um, really improved in recent years, and, mm -hmm. and that means that the costs are becoming a lot more competitive with conventional treatments. Um, and lastly, we, we've also heard anecdotally um, that the price of oxygen supply at the quantities needed um, was a barrier to uptake. Uh, in our case study, relying on on-site production with a guaranteed supply at the treatment plan would address this problem. Mm -hmm. But um, the pros and cons of sourcing oxygen from an on-site hydrogen plant relative to sourcing it from um, another market provider mm -hmm. uh, was identified in our paper as something that really needs further consideration. Okay. And then on the, on, you know, further on the topic of oxygen, uh, Simon, does using oxygen have any additional benefits for water utilities? Um, short answer is yes. The longer answer is uh, we're, we're looking in the paper at the role of uh, oxygen in the treatment process. So that's delivering air to the microbes that you know, break down the wastewater and, and, and increasing the efficiency in the way that the oxygen is delivered to those. Um, but there are also a lot of other benefits that we could use oxygen for. So if we take the oxygen and turn it into ozone, we can start mm -hmm. using it as a disinfectant. Um, that can displace chemicals in our disinfection processes such as chlorine. Uh, we can also look to, to tackle the world of emerging contaminants in wastewater. So pharmaceuticals that are, 
are not traditionally being broken down in, in the conventional treatment process. So we can start to address those and, and those um, free radicals. So the oxygen is a really potent disinfectant um, and that can help for uh, when we provide either recycled class A water um, or alternatively, if we discharge to, to waterways that, that we're providing that extra level of treatment that, that you know, will benefit the environment. Um, there's also, well, they're the main sort of benefits that we would use the oxygen for, but um, another one that we're looking at too is the potential for odor control. So we can use um, ozone in, in odor controls, which is, which is better for our local communities. So where we, where we have these assets or, or um, you know, sewer, sewer pumping stations mm -hmm. um, that are in, in, in urban environments that, that may emit some odors that we can, we can look to treat those a bit more effectively and safely and mm -hmm. without any harm and without using chemicals. And also um, at the inlets to our treatment plants where, you know, we get a lot of, there's a lot of um, things that in sewer that shouldn't really be there, wet wipes, um, fats and oils that, that converge and we have to screen those and, and um, those screenings are not pleasant. So mm. if there's a way that we can address the odour issues that come from there by using ozone, then that's a good thing for our, for our local communities as well. Hmm. Yeah, I can imagine so. So um, Michelle, the paper, you know, obviously it looked at one case study, but what are the opportunities for Australia more broadly? Um, you're right. Um, our focus was really just on the one case study, but we did learn a few things from our analysis that can help identify more opportunities. Mm -hmm. uh, we found that adopting um, oxygen-based treatment at wastewater treatment plants offers greater cost savings when the plant is due for a major upgrade or replacement. So we know that those, those large replacements, you know, have potential. Um, we found uh, we didn't look at all these extra uses of oxygen in as much detail, the ones that Simon um, has just gone through. Mm -hmm. um, but what, what they suggest is that um, there's more potential to, to use pure oxygen at wastewater treatment plants, which could help justify um, co-locating a hydrogen production plant, even when there's a smaller upgrade involved. Um, so overall, the results from our case study are promising enough to consider whether these benefits could be replicated mm -hmm. across small, medium and larger wastewater treatment plant upgrades. Obviously, um, it's a site-specific consideration that requires technical and commercial um, feasibility to be mm -hmm. considered. Um, but the good news is that there are um, many um, wastewater treatment plants around Australia that are due for upgrades. And so some of these opportunities could exist in the short term. I can't specifically answer which ones right. um, exist. But, but the opportunities are there. And, and so Henry, like in purely speculative terms, you know, what, what could this mean for Australia's hydrogen industry and Australia itself uh, if this process was widely adopted? And, and what does it look like five or 10 years down the road? Uh, yeah, so there's probably two points here. Um, first off, that concept that our paper that Michelle explained um, really well and Simon's talked about, if that can be replicated across Australia, it could act as a catalyst to accelerate the development of the nation's hydrogen industry. Mm -hmm. So 
doing this at strategic locations like, for example, ports or logistics terminals or major transport corridors um, could really lay the foundations for developing large scale supply chains. Um, by so you're creating enough hydrogen at a low enough cost to start building experience with how to use it in lots of different ways. Mm -hmm. um, and Simon mentioned buses near uh, the Yarra Valley water site. So for context, the amount of hydrogen produced from the facility in our study would be able to fuel about uh, 50 buses. Mm. And that, that's probably enough to start developing infrastructure that is currently lacking, like refueling stations um, at a scale that will actually help eliminate barriers to future users. Um, so that, that second aspect is, is also over that five, 10 years comes, really comes back to the decarbonization story. Uh, if we can enable faster uptake of sustainable hydrogen across different applications, mm -hmm. the learnings created from um, allowing us to decarbonize these sectors more rapidly and all these different sectors that have been quite hard to get rid of emissions from, um, all without compromising nations drinking resources is, is, really, um, is a really interesting prospect. So when you think about um, the size of Australia and the transport routes connecting all of our different cities, that's a lot of emissions. Um, encouraging faster adoption of an environmentally sustainable replacement for all those fossil fuels that's also commercially viable uh, would be a huge step towards achieving a zero emission society. And uh, it doesn't have to stop at transport. Like I mentioned, um, if we can use uh, innovative means like that concept explored in our paper to bring costs down, mm -hmm. sustainable hydrogen has the potential to allow for so many of our major industries to cut their emissions uh, reduce their impact on climate change without negatively impacting economic growth. And um, I think that's a really exciting prospect. Excellent. And, you know, it, I think it's exciting too that, you know, this is, this is an opportunity for Australia to, to really be at the tip of the spear, so to speak, in terms of an innovative solution, you know, for sustainability. And so my last question for today uh, is for you, Michelle, and it's, you know, looking beyond the borders of Australia, uh, are there other geographies that you're aware of that could make use of a solution like this? Uh, yeah, well, our study really did only focus on Australia, as you say, but um, uh, we, what I can say is that the benefits from oxygen-based treatment will be greater in countries where land availability is scarce or expensive and where construction costs are high. So we know that. Um, another factor is energy price. Geographies with high energy costs would have more to gain by transitioning um, to these more efficient processes. Um, we haven't gone and, and looked at um, opportunities in other countries in any detail, but we do know that Scottish Water is already looking at on-site hydrogen production at one of its treatment place, plants. Um, so mm. these opportunities do exist. Um, Singapore also has um, good potential in the hydrogen future. Uh, being a major hub for shipping, air transport and industry means that it could capitalise um, and gain much from the decarbonisation benefits of sustainable hydrogen. Uh, it's also, Singapore is also very good at tracking and being proactive in adopting new technologies and ways of doing business. So we imagine that the efficiency savings offered by the oxygen-based technologies outlined in our paper would be of interest um, to them. Um, so yeah, in short, we're sure that this solution could benefit many other geographies, but further analysis is required to identify where um, where offers the greatest potential. There are many people listening to this that would know more about those opportunities and I'd be really keen for them to reach out to our team and, and discuss these opportunities with us.
Excellent. Well, it's a fascinating uh, solution, you know, and very innovative to to take a, an existing infrastructure, you know, something like wastewater utilities and, and finding a way to like co-locate hydrogen production for a cleaner, more sustainable production uh, and, you know, maximize those facilities. So my hat's off to all of you. Uh, so, you know, Thanks. Michelle, Henry, Simon, thank you all very much for joining me today. Uh, if you are interested to learn more about uh, what we talked about, there is a, a white paper that is posted on jacobs.com. Uh, it's uh, co-produced with Yarra, Val Yarra Valley Water, and uh, you can see all the details there and all the research that uh, the team has put together. Uh, so on behalf of Jacobs, thank you so much for joining us, and uh, Simon and Michelle and Henry, thank you for your time today.